glad to see everyone out tonight. Thank you for being back. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, making time to worship God and study together. Um, and thank you, Ben, for those songs about heaven, really, when it gets down to both of those songs. are talking about us com- coming to the end of our life, enjoying our reward. That dovetails in very nicely with what we talked about this morning in our study of Revelation. We're in a fight. The devil wants to defeat us, but we will be victorious as long as we stay on the right side. And we'll enjoy that victory uh, song of Moses and the Lamb when this life is over. And what a wonderful thing to look forward to. You know, words mean things, and uh, words convey ideas and concepts. It's important that when we use words, we understand what meaning they convey because lots of bad things can happen if you say something that means something you didn't intend for it to mean. Kids struggle with this when they're learning the language and learning how to speak. They call things by the wrong terms and use the wrong phrases. People who come here from other countries and don't have English as their first language many times will make mistakes in how they uh, refer to things and phrases they use because they don't understand what the words mean. They use them inappropriately. And folks who claim to be Christians many times are guilty of this as well, of using words and phrases in ways that the Bible doesn't use them. One of the most glaring that might come to mind is the folks who refer to their preacher as the pastor. That, the idea of a pastor is a biblical idea, but it is not referring to the preacher. And we could go on with other examples of how language is used incorrectly in religious discussions. One of the phrases that we hear frequently misused in the religious world today is the term spirit-filled. We can look at the religious world around us and find this everywhere. I looked for some examples of some churches near here, the Gateway Church in Franklin. I don't know if you can see it on their website there, but it says Gateway is a spirit-filled church dedicated to creating environments where you can discover fresh starts, great friendships, and real purpose. Um, Gateway Church is a spirit-filled church, it says on their website. The uh, full, full Life Assembly of God, I don't know if you can see it down here, you probably can't. It says, we are a spirit-filled church. The Full Life uh, Church, uh, Assembly of God Church, says we're a spirit-filled church in South Franklin, Tennessee. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m. with full band worship and an all-gospel message. They are a spirit-filled church, the Full Life Assembly of God Church. Uh, the Celebration of Life Church in Nashville on their website says Celebration of Life Nashville, the church plant of Celebration Life Church in Baytown, Texas. Celebration of Life Baytown was pioneered in 2002 by senior pastors Todd and Christy Mooring. A thriving, spirit-filled church 20 miles outside of Houston. There are mother church giving us a spiritual covering and organizational oversight. Lots of things we would probably like to talk to them about in that phrase alone. But especially here, they note that they are a spirit-filled church. Um, the Celebration Church in here in Franklin, I believe, says the Holy Spirit enables every believer to live a spirit-filled and spirit-empowered life. Furthermore, all gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation in the church today through the lives of believers. It goes on and on with churches. And that language... And that use of that idea of being spirit-filled as a church, um, the spirit-filled Church of Christ in uh, Brighton or Bridgeton, uh, uh, Missouri, the spirit-filled Church of Christ. 
Here's uh, one from, um, this is from the Eastside Church of Christ in Snyder, Texas, right there in the middle of your screen. It says, through the reading and proclamation of Scripture and by the working of God's Spirit, humans encounter God, are transformed into God's image, and discern and participate in God's purposes and creation. Further, Christians are in a better position to encounter God through Scripture when they and communal dis discernment in a spirit-filled church. And so the Eastside Church of Christ in Snyder, Texas says that you need to be in a spirit-filled church. The Ocean State Church of Christ in, uh, in Rhode Island says this about themselves. They say the Ocean State Church of Christ is a spirit-filled and spirit-led group of believers of all cultures located around Rhode Island. And it goes on from Griffin, Georgia, the Griffin Church of Christ up there in the upper right-hand side of the screen, or left-hand side of the screen, they call themselves simply a spirit-filled church. So the language is prevalent in the religious world around us, and it is coming into churches that would claim to be churches of Christ. The Laurel Church of Christ in Knoxville on their website, they welcome you to the Laurel Church of Christ. We're an independent, Christ-centered Spirit-led and Bible-based family of God. And so the language is prevalent. What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? Well, it's not hard for, to find how people who use this term, how they intend it to be interpreted. This is from the Emanuel Community Church in Elmira, New York, in an article on their website that's entitled, A Portrait of a Spirit-Filled Church. And they start out like this, explaining the spirit-filled church. They, uh, they say, there's no better place, there's no better place to see what a spirit-filled church looks like than to look at the results of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. And they go on. They say in their, on their website, the phrase spirit-filled is tossed by a Christian or a church that emphasizes spiritual gifts, experiences authentic and emotional worship encounters and seeks to avoid putting God in a box when it comes to the expression of faith. And so they say that it's like the church was on the day of Pentecost where the, uh, they will be spiritual gifts, there's going to be an emotional worship encounters, and we're not going to put God in a box is what a spirit-filled church is according to their explanation. Um, an author by the name of Roger E. Olson said this in his article about what is a spirit-filled church, uh, see, what is a spirit-filled and spirit-led church. He said this. He said, a spirit-filled and spirit-led church will manifest the fruit of the spirit, including joy and the gifts of the spirit, including prophecy, words from God, whether ecstatic or spontaneous or folded in the messages preached from the pulpit. Such a church will be open to the sovereign unpredictability of the Spirit, even as it celebrates tradition. This requires risk on the part of leadership. Leadership will leave space for the Spirit to move and work in ways that transcend traditional forms. Such a church will believe in and pray for supernatural interventions of God in delivering people from bondages, to sin and sickness. It will include testimonies of such deliverances that give all the credit and glory to God alone. 
No great spotlight will be shining down on the pastor or evangelist or prayer warrior, etc. Such a church will lay all decisions before God for guidance and direction in a move only through consensus of the spiritually mature people of God within the church. It will not be led by a dictatorial individual or small group that serves his or her or their interest. And so the Spirit is going to be moving us and giving us direction in a Spirit-filled church. Tonight I'd like to look with you at this idea. Because it is so prevalent, it is creeping into churches that claim to be churches of Christ. Should we be using this type of terminology? Should we be claiming that the South Franklin Church is a spirit-filled church? And I want to tell you tonight that I believe that this terminology is being misused in the religious world, and I believe it tonight. First off, let's look at how this term being filled with the Spirit was used, because this is a biblical phrase, a biblical concept of being filled with the Spirit. Let's look at how it has been used throughout the Bible so we can understand how we should be using it. As Joseph read for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We need to be using Bible terms and Bible language in the correct manner. We need to be using it like God used it in the Bible. And so how did God use the term spirit-filled in the Old Testament? We see it in a few places in the Old Testament. First, in Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 3, notice what we read here. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. God telling Moses here that he is to speak to the gifted artisans, notice, whom God had filled with the spirit of wisdom. This is a miraculous filling, isn't it, of the Spirit. These artisans were given wisdom and knowledge about how to perform the task that God wanted them to perform. They didn't go to school or to some type of apprenticeship. No, God filled them with the wisdom and the ability to craft the things that needed to be crafted in the service of God. It was a miraculous filling of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Exodus chapter 31, beginning of verse 2, in Exodus chapter 31, beginning of verse 2, God says, See, I have called by name Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Meshach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, again, is filling these people, not with sending them off to some kind of trade school, not sending them off to a metalworking uh, institute, no, they're filled with the knowledge and the wisdom. This is miraculous, isn't it? When he fills them with his spirit. And we're going to see this theme throughout as we see God referring to filling people with the spirit. This is a miraculous transfer of knowledge, a miraculous thing that God does. In Exodus chapter 30, in Exodus chapter 30, beginning of verse, thir uh, sorry, Exodus 35, beginning of verse 30. Exodus 35, beginning of verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezael, 
the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. And later on in Exodus 35, beginning of verse 34, and he's put in his heart the ability to teach in him. And Aholiab, the son of Ashimach of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work, the engraver and the, of the engraver and the designer of the tapestry maker and blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen. And of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. He put this ability into them. He gave them the knowledge of how to do this. And we read, when we read about what they were to do and how they were to design it and make it, certainly there was a lot of skill involved in that. And they're out in the wilderness, remember? And this can be done without the access to maybe others who would know this type of trade. God put this wisdom and this knowledge in them. And so in the Old Testament, when God used the term spirit-filled, and that's my, to my understanding the extent of how we see it used in the Old Testament, simply is a miraculous transfer of knowledge that God uh, transferred to those in the Old Testament. It's used extensively in the New Testament as well, this idea. In Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 13, when the angel appears to Zacharias to announce John the Baptist's birth, notice what the angel says. In Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 13, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. John's filling with the Holy Spirit will enable him to preach things that he doesn't fully understand, won't it? He'll be inspired to preach the gospel of Christ, or the gospel of the coming of Christ and preparing the way for Christ. John's going to be filled with the Spirit that will enable him to preach these things that he needed to be revealed from God. This was a miraculous filling of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Luke chapter 1, when Elizabeth meets Mary, you remember Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. And notice the res response by Elizabeth. And it happened, verse 41 of Luke chapter 1, when Ma Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what this filling did. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which are told here from, the Lord, from her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. There was a prophetic response, wasn't there, to Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit. When John the Baptist was born... Zacharias was now filled with the Spirit in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 67. In chapter 1 of Luke, verse 67, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... You see the connection with prophecy being filled with the Spirit? We saw it in the Old Testament. It was, filled, it was connected with the transfer of knowledge and wisdom and skill. We see it here as connected with the idea of prophecy being able to prophesy and teach and speak things that were inspired by God. 
That was clear here in Luke chapter 1, and it's going to go on throughout the New Testament. When we see this idea of being spirit-filled, it is connected with this. On the day of Pentecost, perhaps maybe one of the most famous incidences of people being filled with the Spirit. In, flip, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and each one sat on them, and sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the result of that was they were able to speak in tongues. And that was not the gibberish that we can see in religious circles today. There wasn't some kind of unintelligible noise that was coming out of their mouth like the Pentecostal people today would like us to believe. These were tongues. These were languages that others could understand. In Acts chapter 2, verse 7, we see this explained. In Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 7, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are, we, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? This was a miraculous transfer of knowledge. The apostles did not have to go to some type of 12-week intensive language study, some kind of a course. They didn't sign up for an online tutorial they immediately had the ability to speak these languages that they had not studied. In Acts chapter 2, verse 12, the result was, So all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatsoever could this mean? The filling of the Holy Spirit on the apostles in Acts chapter 2 was a miraculous transfer of knowledge to them. And this was a fulfillment of what God, uh, the promise that had been made to them in Acts chapter 4, sorry, John chapter 14, verse 26. In John 14, beginning of verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Jesus had promised that the Spirit would fill the apostles and would lead them into all truth. In John chapter 16, beginning of verse 12, John 16, beginning of verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but where, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The filling of the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus. We see it happening starting here in Acts chapter 2. But it wasn't the only place where the apostles are said to have been filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin, and they have to give an answer and a testimony. You remember that Jesus said that the Spirit would help them. <clears throat> and now <clears throat> they're going to experience that in Acts chapter 4, beginning of verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well... Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. That enables him to give an answer when he's called into question. This again 
is a fulfillment of, pro of promise that Jesus had made in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told them that they would be told what they should speak. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. Jesus said, when they take you up and you're standing on trial, don't worry about that. Don't be studying all night trying to determine your defense and your answer. It's going to be given to you what you should speak. Well, go back. Go back to Acts chapter 4. Peter is now called into that question, into that counsel, and he needs to give a defense. Well, what happens? Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous transfer of knowledge here, isn't it? When he's filled with the Spirit. We go on. In Acts chapter 6, it's mentioned of those who are going to take the, the seven who are called to serve in Acts chapter 6. It's one of the qualifications that they're called to have. In Acts chapter 6, beginning of verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The seven, their qualifications were that they had to be filled full of the Holy Spirit. Notice, though, that its connection is with wisdom. Being full of the Holy Spirit is connected with wisdom. That sounds a lot like being filled with the Holy Spirit sounded in the Old Testament, doesn't it? This idea that the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives you this wisdom. It transfers this wisdom. This seems to be the same uh, that we see here in Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 9, as Paul is... Uh, in Damascus, and Ananias comes to him. Ananias announces why he was sent to Paul. And in verse 17 of Acts 9, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what have we learned about being filled with the Holy Spirit? We've learned that it, is a, it provides us the, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit miraculous transfer of knowledge, being able to be inspired. Also provides them the ability to work miracles, both of which we know Paul was able to do as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this in action in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, in verse 9 beginning, when Paul and Barnabas encounter Bar-Jesus, Acts 13, beginning verse 9, then, Paul, or then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, that you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Obviously, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this allowed him, whoops, this allowed him to, uh, to work this miracle of causing this man to be blind. The disciples at Iconium are mentioned next in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, as being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There are a few details here given of what exactly it means that those in Iconium 
experienced when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But we need to use the uh, details that we've had so far with what being filled with the Holy Spirit means and implies. And we would have to conclude here that since every other instance we've seen was miraculous, this must be miraculous as well. And finally, the last place in the New Testament that I'm aware of where being filled with the Spirit is mentioned is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This verse is less obvious as to what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. But again, we have to build upon what we've seen about other instances where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that one gift of the Holy Spirit was the ability to know psalms and to teach psalms. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things be done for edification. One of the, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit was this idea of having psalms. And we connect that back then with Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19. And the indication here, I would believe, that being filled with the Spirit also is that same type of miraculous manifestation of the Spirit. So we see very clearly from the Old Testament and the New Testament that the phrase being filled with the Spirit is a miraculous idea and connotation. That when being, we, we see, read about folks being filled with the Spirit, we see that they were able to have a miraculous transfer of knowledge. They were able to be inspired. They were able to work miracles. They were given skills. It was a miraculous thing. That's, where, that's how we read about the term being filled with the Spirit is used in the, in the Bible. Now, the question is, should we be Spirit-filled today? question that we need to answer because this term is being used a lot, as I mentioned, in the religious world, and it's being used even by those who claim to be members of the Church of Christ. So, should we be Spirit-filled today? But to answer that question, I'd like to start by saying this is a different question than the question of does the Spirit dwell in us today? Because I think that everyone would agree that the Spirit dwells in us today. The Bible's very clear on that. If he, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This is hard to deny that the Spirit of God dwells in us. This is a different question than whether or not we need to be Spirit-filled. We see how the term Spirit-filled is used. This is not the same thing as having the Spirit dwell in us. The Bible also says that the Father and Son dwell in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. So the Father dwells in us if we are what we need to be. The Son is said to dwell in us in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. In Romans chapter 8, verse 10. And if Christ is in you... The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. The Son dwells in us as well. And so this is not a question of whether or not the spirit dwells in us. And the question that we will not answer tonight is not a matter of whether is if the spirit dwells in us. It's how the spirit dwells in us. We could talk about that. 
But that's a different question from what we're looking at here about whether we need to be filled with the Spirit. We have seen throughout the New Testament and Old Testament that the term being filled with the Spirit conveys miraculous implications. And the Scriptures teach us that a time was coming when miracles were to end. Miracles that we've shown were associated with being filled with the Spirit are specifically noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 specifically says that these miracles would come to an end. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning, I'm a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Notice this passage specifically calls out the things that we, call, we noted were associated with being filled with the Spirit. It says here, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. The things that we specifically noted that were associated with being filled with the Spirit in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 says these things are going to be done away. They're going to be done away when that which is perfect has come. When that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. Well, what was that which is perfect? James chapter 1 verse 22 helps us understand that that refers to God's entire revealed word. In James chapter 1, verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Notice the connection here. The perfect law of liberty, the perfect revealed word of God is like a mirror. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says it's like we're looking through a mirror dimly. We didn't have it all when 1 Corinthians 13 was written. There was going to come a time when we had it all, and then those things which were done were in part will be done away. That miraculous filling of the Spirit would come to an end when the perfect revealed word of God was complete. There are not miracles anymore. And so someone... When we say that we should not be filled with the Spirit the way that they were filled with the Spirit in Bible times, someone might raise the objection and say, wait a minute, are you saying that the Spirit doesn't lead us today? What are you trying to say? Are you saying the Spirit doesn't lead us? No, absolutely not. The Spirit does lead us. 
but he doesn't lead us miraculously. Like some of those churches were claiming to be led by the Spirit and you sort of just had to sort of be loose because you don't know where the Spirit's going to lead. And you sort of have to be spontaneous because he might tell you to do this or he might tell you to do that. So you just got to go with it. The Spirit doesn't lead us like that anymore, but he does lead us today. He leads us through the Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Spirit absolutely does lead us, or He better be leading us today. And He's doing that through the Word. The Word is complete. It is everything that we need to be equipped for every good work. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to tell glory and virtue. We have everything that we need. We don't need the Spirit to tell us personally what to do. The Spirit has already told us what to do. We need to be following this. And to say that we need to be Spirit-filled today would imply that the Scriptures are not complete, that you need more. It would indict the Scriptures as being insufficient when the Scriptures say that they are sufficient. The Scriptures tell us that the Spirit does lead us today. He leads us through the Word. And I want to tell you there's a real danger when we look to the Spirit to move us or lead us or provide us with some direction apart from the Scriptures. That is a dangerous, dangerous concept. And people throughout time have been led astray by believing that the Spirit was leading them apart from the Scriptures. Saying we need to be Spirit-filled would imply that the Scriptures are insufficient and would imply that we would need to be led in some direction different than what the Scriptures teach. If the Scriptures are complete and we can be led to the, by, the, by the Spirit in, through the Scriptures to every good work. The Spirit said one thing in the Bible. If the Spirit said one thing in the Bible... And a spirit, you think the Spirit is telling you to do something different today? If you think you're filled with the Spirit and you're getting led in directions that are different than what the Bible says, then you need to be aware of what 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In the New Testament, when people were still being, New Testament times when people were still being filled with the Spirit, even then they were told, you be on guard. You make sure that what they're telling you lines up with what you've been taught because there were false spirits. And if that is the case today that we're feeling we're getting some messages from the Spirit, we'd have to test them against the standard, wouldn't we? And if they didn't line up with what the standard said, then we would know they're false spirits. And if, they, if the, what this leading or this filling was telling us was exactly the same as what the Scriptures taught, we didn't need to be filled with the Spirit anyways, did we? Because we have it here. It's very dangerous. Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than you have, what is, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. 
You've probably talked with folks who felt that they were led by the Spirit to do things that were 180 degrees opposite of what the Scriptures taught. And they went with what they thought they had heard from this so-called Spirit. Dangerous. It will cause souls to be lost. This idea of being Spirit-filled is not the idea that we read about in the Bible. The churches that are using this idea of being spirit-filled and spirit-led today, they're using that term inappropriately. They're misapplying a biblical concept. Throughout the Scriptures, we see when the Scriptures use the idea of being filled with the Spirit, that implies a miraculous uh, manifestation of, 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 of spiritual gifts. And we are not endued uh, in, in with that. We're not... Uh, we're not enjoying that today. We need to use Bible terms in the way that they're used in the Scriptures. When we don't, when we don't use Bible terms in Bible ways, when we don't speak as the oracles of God, we open the door for spiritual error to come in. And we need to be careful about that. We're not spirit-filled today. That time has ended. But we're still led by the Spirit. The question for you tonight is, are you being led by the Spirit? Are you studying His Word? Are you applying it in your life? If you're not, there's no better time than right now to correct that. And if we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.